Well, good morning. Um, we're going to open up this morning, and uh, I just found something out this morning, and we're actually going to pray about it together. Um, you guys know our sound guy, Bobby, right? And um, he got baptized a few weeks ago. Well, I just found out today that he is in the hospital and has been just bleeding from his eyes, nose, mouth, and uh, he got a blood transfusion, and that did not help, and his blood count is really low, and so um, we're going to pray for him. And it fits in perfectly with, uh, you know, our title this morning, because we're going to live out our faith. And uh, when we pray in faith, that is powerful. And one of the things that I love about this church is there's these crazy things that happen, and we present these prayer requests to our church family. People pray about it, and God just does miracles. And that has happened so many times in the four years that I've been here. Like, I know there's somebody in this church that God listens to, and I'm trying to figure out who they are. And since I don't know who they are, we're going to ask everyone to pray. <clears throat> and uh, our hope, you know, we're, th- this, is, this is hope. You know, we have hope that for Bobby, he knows the Lord. And we have hope that God has the power to heal him in this life. But we have a hope that transcends this life because Bobby is right with the Lord. And while we would all, I'm not saying he's going to not survive. But one of the things that we know is that if he didn't survive, we would all be the ones suffering, not him. He, he would be very happy about that, to be in the presence of the Lord. And so we have a hope that transcends any of the details of this life. And we also have love. And that is why we're all praying for him, because we love him. So I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to pause for a moment. And I want to give you guys a chance just to, just to pray uh, to yourself. And and Bobby is actually feeling stressed out, you know, you get a blood transfusion, you go all through all this stuff, and the doctors say it didn't help. And uh, so we need to pray for his peace, but also we want to pray for God to just work powerfully in his life. So we're going to pause for a moment, then I'll pray, and then we're going to get started this morning. So let's take a minute and let's pray for him. God, I want to want to thank you for Bobby, and Lord, for just the blessing that he is to this church. And Lord, I know that he is an incredible blessing to many people. You know, think about his family and his friends, and Lord, just what a treasure he is. And God, I pray that that you would work powerfully in his life, Lord. That that this thing that he's going through physically, God, I ask that you would heal it, Lord. And we are. Actually, we have the faith to be looking forward to hearing how by this afternoon or sometime soon that, that they've figured things out and that, that he is doing better. And Lord, we know that you can do that. And we have a hope uh, for this life and for his healing and his restoration. And yet, Lord, we know that also you are sovereign. And we know that whatever happens, God, you are good and that you care for him and uh, his... His well-being and his, uh, that does not rest in the results of whatever happens on this earth. And yet, Lord, we know that you are so good and you heal. And um, so, God, we just, we lift that up. We have hope. And God, we love him. And so we're praying with our whole heart. And Lord, we think about your word where you say that when kids ask their dads for things, that uh, those dads are evil and they still give good gifts to their kids. And how much more you as our Heavenly Father, you love us. 
and we love you, and God, when we ask you for things, you hear that, and you answer, and so, Lord, we do. We love Bobby, and we love each other, and we love his family, and we love his friends, and so, God, we just pray that you would work powerfully in this situation, and God, we also, we thank you for your word. It is, it is so practical, and it touches so many things, and um, God, we pray that as we go through your word that we would be challenged, encouraged, and inspired to live out who you have called us to be. And so we pray that you would just bless our time this morning in your word, in your name. Amen. Okay, so, you know, we've uh, been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is an amazing book, and we love it. And uh, one of the things we find out about the Corinthian church is that they lived in a very sinful time, and we, all of us, have looked around at our culture, we watch the news, we see things that have happened and that are going on, and we just think, man, it is as bad now as it has ever been. And, and uh, one of the things I love is reading the Bible, and I just had a conversation this weekend with somebody just saying, you know, right now, is this, are, are these like the bad times? Are these the end times? And one of the things I said was I just started thinking about the first book of the Bible. And I was thinking about, Genesis chapter 6, where the, the world was so evil that every thought and every intention of a person's heart was evil continually, and there was violence filling the earth, and I was just saying, think about the, the worst parts of the country that you would be afraid to go at night. That was the entire world, and God said, it's so bad, I'm drowning everyone, and so uh, Noah built an ark. And Noah and his family got on that ark, and at 120 years he preached, and nobody responded because they all had a chance to get on that boat and be saved, and none of them did. And so they get on, Noah and his family get on the ark, and God drowns the world. And every time we look out and see a rainbow, we're reminded that God won't drown everyone again. That's, that's an amazing blessing. And then we think about Sodom and Gomorrah that was so evil that God went down he, he came and he sent some angels and they went and looked around Sodom and Gomorrah and these angels show up and everybody in town just shows up and decide that they're going to rape these visitors. And, um, and Lot starts saying, this is an evil thing, don't do this. And uh, they start saying, who are you to judge me? We've, we've seen and heard that before, right? And uh, God just tells Lot and his family, he says, get out of town and don't even look back. And so as they're leaving, uh, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. And Lot's wife turns around and she looks when he told, God told her not to. She turns into a pillar of salt, so she dies. And then we think about just similar stories that actually happened in the nation of Israel. And a man ends up cutting up his concubine and it was a similar kind of thing. Just the incredible w wickedness that happened even in a nation that was supposed to know God. And so one of the things that we think about is as we look around in this world, I'm just telling you, things are bad, but they are not as bad as they have been in the past. And when you look at the Corinthians, they were saved out of this terribly wicked culture. And so God saves them, and, 
And everybody thinks that the Apostle Paul probably didn't like the Corinthian church because they complained about him. He writes the book of 1 Corinthians and everybody's fighting and they have all these insults for the Apostle Paul. And so he kind of defends himself a little bit in the book of 1 Corinthians. And, and you think, man, that's really good, except when he writes 2 Corinthians, the last four chapters, three or four chapters, is all a personal defense. So it kind of gets worse, you know, after he writes them the letter. And so this is a church that God has just done an amazing thing of saving people in ways that you would have never imagined as possible. And they're in the church. And 1 Corinthians, like the, the beginning of the book just says that, that God gave the Corinthians every spiritual gift. And so they were equipped. They had the Holy Spirit. They had spiritual gifts. They had the ability to be the people that God wanted them to be. And then as we read through the book of 1 Corinthians, we find out that they weren't dealing with sin the way God intended. Uh, they weren't confronting it. They felt like they were really gracious, and as sinners came into church, they didn't address that. They weren't loving them and encouraging them and telling them the truth. And so Paul actually has to write and say, you got to deal with these sin issues in the church. And so uh, the church responds to that. And, uh, and then as, as they're continuing on, they have all these gifts, and we hit this section where they have these spiritual gifts, and instead of using those gifts to build each other up, they're fighting over the spiritual gifts, and they're prideful about the spiritual gifts, and the spiritual gifts are, 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 are working their way into people like trying to care for themselves. And uh, when Paul, so when Paul writes about spiritual gifts, he says every single person in the church is a spiritual gift and is a blessing and has been gifted and, and Paul says that spiritual gifts are given for the common good. And so every single person in a church is, get, is a gift, and everybody who's in the church has a spiritual gift. And the purpose of spiritual gifts is building up other people. And one of the things we've talked about is that the, the most amazing thing about that is that when you come to church, you try to build up other people, but how much can one person do? You know, you can do a little bit with this person, a little bit with that person, a little bit with that person, but like, look around this room. It's like when you show up, if every single person in this room is there to build you up and encourage you up, when you go to church without interest in yourself, when you come to church with an interest in caring for and building up others, you benefit way more than if you were trying to do things to build yourself up. And so that's this Corinthian church, and Paul's talking to them about gifts. And then 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love, and we're going to finish that chapter uh, this morning. But the, the crazy thing about 1 Corinthians 13 is I preached on it for Valentine's Day. You think about love for your significant other. And uh, it's read at wedding ceremonies. And so we think about 1 Corinthians 13 in that context, but one of the things we realize is that 1 Corinthians 13 was not written primarily for couples. It was written for church relationships. Like that's where God is just saying love is powerful and it is important. And so 1 Corinthians 12 ends with um, just the, the, the statement that love is the most important thing, more important than spiritual gifts. As important as gifts are, love is more important. 
And then 1 Corinthians 13, like the beginning of it, just lists off all these amazing things that you could do and, and ways that you could, like, for example, giving your body to be burned, like being willing to give up your life and to be tortured and suffered. And the Apostle Paul says that if you don't have love, that profits you nothing. So it just says, man, love is the most important thing. And then he describes love, which, by the way, when you read the description of love, um, man, we don't see that in the world. That is not what the world understands or thinks about regarding love. And now what the Apostle Paul is going to do in the section that we're going to address this morning is he's going to talk about the fact that spiritual gifts are going to pass away, but love is permanent. It is never going to pass away. So here's the crazy thing. You know, there's, there's charismatic churches that speak in tongues, and they prophesy, and all those things, and then you have churches that say, no, God's done with those gifts, and there's churches that divide over that. And, uh, you know, we do have differences, and we're going to talk about some of those things today. I'm going to tell you my perspective on the gift of tongues. We're going to talk about what it is, whether I think it's still operating today. But here's the thing we need to recognize about that, is in spite of how we view these things, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we build each other up, and we approach and we think about all of these things with an attitude of humility, and we're going to see that actually in this passage. And then it just ends by giving us three qualities in this passage. Um, faith, hope, and love. And it just says, when things, re when things cease and pass away, those faith, hope, and love, that is what remains. And so this morning, uh, my prayer and my hope is that as a church, that we would live out faith, hope, and love. And uh, we certainly want to think rightly about things. We want to embrace things that are, that are true. But we want to live these things out. So we're going to consider this this morning. And we're going to see uh, basically three things. So um, we're going to jump into three things here. First one is that we need to know that our gifts are temporary. And while they're important, they are temporary. And they are not an end in and of themselves. That's a problem that the Corinthian church had is each person was so focused on what their gifts were and whether or not they mattered that they forgot about the purpose. The second thing we're going to see is that we need to long for the full knowledge that we will have when we are face-to-face -face with God. That, that's actually one of the things in this passage that talks about gifts passing, is that they're going to pass because we're going to be face-to-face -face with God. So we're going to talk about that. But basically, we need to live life and think about life through the lens of eternity and, and, and what the reality of heaven is like. And then the, the final thing that we're going to be challenged with is that we need to develop and express the perfect qualities for an imperfect world. <laughs> what do you think those three qualities are? <laughs> Maybe it's faith, hope, and love. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll have to read and see what's actually in there. So uh, let, me, let me just read, I want to read our passage, and we'll just start in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 31, and then we're going to read through the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then we're going to dive into it. So uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And the higher gifts, he, Paul gives these lists, 
and the Corinthians all wanted to speak in tongues, and that's the last thing on the list, and the apostles and the prophets and, and teaching and prophesying, like that stuff all comes before tongues. And so he's saying, quit desiring tongues and desire the higher gifts. Then he says in verse 1 of chapter 13, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then the description of love, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. When we're in heaven for all eternity, love will still be there. And Paul just says you need to prioritize that. You know, it's amazing if we don't actually have love, we will never use our gifts in the way that God intends. And something that he intends for good will actually be destructive. Uh, verse uh, B, or verse, I'm sorry, uh, verse 8, the second half. So this is our passage for this morning. It says this, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I know, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So when we think about uh, this passage and just the permanence of love, like it is not a surprise that love is such a priority. You think about it, the Bible, it's like we see that everywhere, right? The greatest commandment is to love God and others. Um, our greatest promise from God comes from His love. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Our salvation is grounded in God's love. It's the foundation for everything that we do. 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul says that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. So it's a motivation for our ministry. And the gifts of the Spirit, how do you know if somebody's filled with the Spirit? Well, the first thing on the list is it says love is the evidence that you are filled with the Spirit. John 13.35 just says it is the mark of every true Christian. So if you're a Christian, then you love. Like that's a mark of whether or not you're saved. And it's something in Romans 13, 8 that the Bible says we owe every believer. We are obligated to love fellow Christians. It's not like this optional thing that we do. We are obligated to love. So um, love's important. 
Let's jump into the second half and talk about what we'll cease. And here's how let's, we could all fight with each other about this stuff, right? I mean, after all the stuff that God said about love, we can leave here this morning mad um, and uh, not liking people. Okay, wait, no, that probably can't happen if you're reading this whole thing. So I want to just point out here the first thing is that we know that gifts, while important, are temporary and not the end. They are not the end in and of themselves. And so we need to recognize that. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And uh, as we think about this, uh, just the priority of these gifts, you know, Paul's talking about gifts that are going to pass away, but these are good gifts. These are important gifts. Paul's not saying, hey, these things don't really matter and they're going to pass away. He's actually spent all this time talking about the priority of the things he is mentioning. Um, chapter 14 that we're going to cover in, a couple, in the next couple weeks actually spends all this time emphasizing prophecy. It says here, that it ends uh, the, toward the end of 1 Corinthians 12, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, you know, those things, the ministry of God's Word is the priority. It comes before all these other things. It comes before, in this list, it comes before miracles, before gifts of healing, before helping, before administration, and before tongues. So think about that. I mean, okay, you want to hear a sermon or you want to go into the hospital and touch Bobby and say, get up and walk out of here. And you know, that we need to think about the priority of God's Word because the Bible right here says that having God's Word, being able to hear it and learn it, is more important than being able to walk into a hospital and touch Bobby and say, get up and walk out of here. Like, I don't know, does that, is that like kind of shocking? Could I go to church on Sunday morning or could I go heal Bobby? Okay, I'll skip church and I'll go, hear, I'll go heal Bobby. Like, wouldn't you think in those terms? And yet Paul says that prophecy and the gifts that bring us God's word are the priority. So he's not saying these things are passing away because they're not important. But he's saying they're going to pass away and as important as they are, they are not the most important thing. So let's just think for a minute about prophecy and what the Bible says about that. So prophecy is bringing forth new revelation. It's to speak forth. And in the Old Testament, prophets gave messages and gave information that came directly from God that nobody had heard about. I had a conversation with somebody um, that was just saying, hey man, Genesis, you know, uh, Moses wrote Genesis. How, how did he know how God created things? He wasn't there. But guess who was there? God was there. And so God explained to Moses things that nobody else could have known. And many of the prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament um, received words directly from God and passed those on. That's prophecy, saying things that were going to happen. In Acts, um, we see a, a, guy, a guy prophesying about Paul and just saying, Paul, the, the owner of this belt, is if, when he leaves here, is going to get beat. And so he tells the future of what's going to happen to Paul. And Paul just says, yeah, I don't care. Not only am I willing to be beaten, I'm willing to die. And so he goes, thanks for telling me I got some bad things happening to me. But it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. So that's prophecy. But prophecy is also preaching. 
You know, when you look at the, the prophecy in the Old Testament, all the books of the prophets, they were preaching the books of the law to Israel. And when you look at a lot of prophesying or crying against a city or just any of those things was taking the truth that God had revealed and proclaiming it. And, and so that's also something that we value. And God's Word is powerful. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 11, it never returns void. It always accomplishes its purpose. Now that's scary because sometimes God's purpose in the preaching of the Word is to bring people to salvation. That's wonderful. But also, the purpose of preaching sometimes is to bring judgment because God's going to lay out His truth in front of people. They're going to hear it. And they're going to reject it. And then one day when they're, when they're in hell for all eternity, they're going to remember all the times that somebody came to them and said, there's opportunity, there's hope, there's help. And they're going to remember all the opportunities that they had and that they shook their fist in God's face and said no. And so sometimes it brings salvation and sometimes it just heaps massive accountability and people are going to sit in hell for eternity knowing that they are there because they rejected every opportunity that God gave them. And we know that through the Holy Spirit that God convicts people in their heart of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so, so everybody who hears God's Word is internally prepared for it. And then when that truth is delivered, like it strikes a, a chord in their heart, and there are some people, Romans 1 talks about it, how they suppress and they deny the truth that they know. So, but God's Word is powerful. It always accomplishes what God intends. Um, the Bible tells us that His Word is of unequal value. There's nothing as valuable as God's Word. There is nothing. Uh, it's more valuable than money. Psalm 119.72 says it's better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Proverbs 3.15, just talking about God's wisdom, says nothing you desire compares with her. It leads to eternal life. You know, 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul says about Timothy, you learn the sacred scriptures from childhood that are, that are able to make you wise and to salvation. So God's Word's powerful, and we value the prophets, we value the Bible, we value the people that speak God's Word to us, and God's Word in the life of every single Christian should be a priority every day. You know, just crazy. When you think about what we have in the Bible and that people don't read it, it's like if you, could, if you heard that Moses was coming to town and he was going to be somewhere preaching. Would you go? I mean, I'd kind of like to hear from Moses. And actually, if I want to hear from Moses, I don't even have to leave my house. All I do is just grab my Bible and open it and start reading it. If I heard Jesus was in town, man, I'm telling you, I would cancel whatever plans I had. I'd want to go hear him preach. But all I have to do is open up the Gospels and I can read the very words of Jesus, and I can read his sermons. And if, and if I want to hear them, I got a Bible app that I just push a button, and it, maybe it's not Jesus' voice, but I can hear it being preached. Yeah. And isn't it insane that we have Christians today that don't open their Bible? 
Um, I heard one person say, you know, if your Bible's falling apart, probably your life isn't. And there's a lot of people whose Bibles are crisp and clean and brand new. But their life is falling apart. Um, so, man, Paul goes on and he says, hey, knowledge, prophecy, prophecy gonna, is going to pass away. That's a passive word saying that something else is going to make it pass away. And we're going to see that later in this passage. It's when the perfect comes that that is going to pass away. And then he says that tongues are going to cease. That is a different word. That's a word in the middle voice, and it's saying tongues are just going to end on their own. And um, so it, it just says tongues are going to cease. And that is, a, that is something that we should notice, that prophecy passes away, knowledge passes away, like those words are exactly the same. But tongues gets a unique word, and it says it's going to cease. Now let's just think about uh, tongues. Tongues is incredibly an amazing gift. Like, think about that. Um, on Pentecost, the apostles are preaching and people hear in their native language. You know, have you ever tried to talk to somebody that doesn't speak your language? Like, I thought about that. Um, and, Carlos, I'm going to talk about your family. I didn't tell him I was going to do this, my son-in-law. But we went to his house and we were hanging out with his parents. And his parents speak a very little bit of English and um, a little bit more than the Spanish that Michelle and I <laughs> So we speak a very little bit of Spanish. And we spent the whole evening there hanging out, and it was so fun. I love his parents. So glad that our families have been connected. But I got to tell you, it was a lot of work to communicate. And I'm glad that Carlos speaks Spanish, and he could translate. And Julianne speaks some Spanish. She could translate. Cannon speaks Spanish. He could translate. But I was having trouble because I don't speak Spanish. And Jessica doesn't speak Spanish either, so she's in a family that they got to really reach out to communicate to her. Um, but you know what? It is so amazing when you sit with people and you can just communicate clearly. You know, there are things that get lost in translation. You want to know what was so powerful about tongues? Is that the apostles preached and people heard it in their native language. Nothing got lost in translation. What an amazing gift. I think about people... Um, I thought about doing this. I was in seminary. I finished Greek and Hebrew and was like a couple of, a couple of years out of that and was really, just really um, enjoyed that. And, and I went away and I heard some people talking about their need for people to go to jungles and to just live with people for years and try to learn the language of the people that they're living with. And there are people who study Greek and Hebrew so that they can translate the Bible, and then they go to schools, and then they go into different places of the world, and they spend years learning a language. After they learn the language, some of them don't even have written language, so they spend all this time trying to figure out an alphabet and how to write the language, and then they got to teach the people that they're with how to read. And then they translate the Bible into that new language. And it, it can take, like, generations to get God's Word into the hands of people. Like, there's people that you go into a tribe and they die before anybody knows the language well enough to share the gospel with them. So when you think about the power of that, the, the apostles, they're preaching the gospel. They don't have to learn everybody, anybody's language. Instantly, they can communicate with people. That's the gift of tongues. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is going to say, I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
uh, Paul's traveling around preaching to Gentiles. And so when he goes, God gave him the ability to speak to people in their language that he had never learned. You know, I think about the Jesus film. They got all kinds of languages on that because it means something very special to people when they hear God's word in their own language. The gift of tongues is powerful. And when God um, allowed it to be used in Acts chapter 2, thousands of people got saved. And so the gift of tongues, by the way, it brings with it prophecy, prayer. Like It's the gift of languages, but as people were speaking, they prayed, they worshiped, they communicated God's truth. They brought forth re- revelation. They explained revelation. So tongues was not like just this unique thing. Tongues was like the channel that all of these really powerful gifts came through. And that's probably why the Corinthians all wanted to speak in tongues. It's like that seemed like the most prominent gift. And so when we think about the examples of tongues in the Bible, I've, I've talked about some wrong theology that people have about tongues. Like that tongues is a private prayer language just between you and God. That is not true. Um, People appeal to Romans chapter 8, where the Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Um, When we're praying and we don't know how to pray how we should, the Holy Spirit prays for us. So what I want to tell you is that that's the Holy Spirit praying for you. That is not the gift of tongues. There's nothing in that passage that communicates that. It just means that when you pray, God, uh, please help me to get this new job. If God knows that that's not the right job for you, the Holy Spirit (laughs) interrupts that prayer and says, God, uh, don't let him get that job. So the, the Holy Spirit actually, hey, isn't that an amazing thing that when you don't know how you should pray that the Holy Spirit intercedes and prays for you? That is an incredible thing, but that is not a private prayer language just between you and God. That is the Holy Spirit praying for you. Um, people say that the, the gift of tongues is to build yourself up. I'm not going to address that today because that's coming in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So we'll talk about that. People say that the gift of tongues is, um, is <clears throat> that the gift of tongues is the sign or the evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to look at some passages for why people would say that. And I want to tell you that is not true. It is not true that the speaking in tongues is the evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that not everybody speaks in tongues. Romans says that you are not a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit. So you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. So if, if, so you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. You're not in Christ. And so every Christian has the Holy Spirit and not every Christian speaks in tongues. But I want to show you in the book of Acts this morning why people say that it is the sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, the sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's how you know you're filled with the Spirit. Not that you speak in tongues. But we'll see where that comes from. So I want to read, there's three examples historical examples of the gift of tongues. Let me just read those to you. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They just spoke different languages as the Holy Spirit allowed them to speak. Now, this is the first time that people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples? He says, it's good for me to go. Why? Anybody remember? Because then the Holy Spirit's going to come. So there's this, trans, there's this transition. In the Old Testament, believers had the Holy Spirit. We can read how the Holy Spirit came on them, how the Holy Spirit empowered people. But what we know is that in the Old Testament, believers, true believers, were not indwelled by the Holy Spirit the same way people are in the New Testament. So the first time that people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues. That's one of the things that happens. So that's part of why people say, oh, a sign that you have the Holy Spirit is because very first time the Holy Spirit came, people spoke in tongues. So, um, uh, so he goes on. So this is the promise. They were supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then it says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, at this sound, the multitude came together. So all the sound and all the stuff is drawing people together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who speak Galileans? Like, how do they know our language? And how is it that we each hear, each of us here in our own native language? Okay, so what's the gift of tongues? It's a language that people speak. We'll see that more even in 1 Corinthians 14. It's very clear that speaking in tongues is speaking languages. Um, Parthenians, Medes, it just lists all these um, various languages. Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, each one of them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. So they're preaching about God. Um, So that's the first um, example of tongues. The second example of tongues is actually to Cornelius. So the, the, the Bible talks about in Ephesians... Um, that, that the church was a mystery, was not revealed in the Old Testament. People didn't realize that um, God was working through the Jewish nation, and nobody realized that that was going to transition to Gentiles, and that there was going to be a church. And we know that God still has a plan for e- Israel. You can read Romans 9-11, through 11, and it says in that passage that a partial hardening has happened until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then all Israel will be saved. And God wrote a whole book, the book of Revelation, to explain how he's going to save the Jewish nation. So we're in the church age. God's working through the Gentiles. He's working through us. And then the rapture is going to happen. The church is going to be taken off the face of the earth. And the book of Revelation, chapter 4 through 19, or chapter 4 through uh, toward the end of Revelation, is actually a description of all hell breaking loose on earth and God pouring out his wrath and God sending angels to preach, and God sending 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe. The purpose of Revelation and the tribulation is that God is going to save, He's going to save the Jewish nation. And so the Jewish nation has been set aside for now, but God has a plan, and He's going to keep all of His promises to the Jews. That is still coming in the future. But this whole thing with the church was a mystery. And so in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see the gift of tongues again. So there's there's this Roman guy, an Italian guy, 
I always tell Michelle she's Roman. I'm married to a Roman. You know, I think she'd be a centurion if she was back there. <laughs> but uh, there's this uh, Roman centurion, and he's a devout man. He loves God, and he prays, and he's giving generously. And, and he's praying, and God hears his prayer. And so God's, God tells him, hey, send some people to find Peter. And then God does something for Peter. So Peter is kind of hanging out, and he's hungry. And as he's hungry, he then falls to sleep, and God gives him this vision, and the sheet comes down, and there's all kinds of animals on the sheet that Jews are not allowed to eat, all the unclean animals. And this sheet comes down, and, and then Peter's told, hey, arise and go eat. And Peter's hungry, and he's told to go eat. And he's like, no, I am not, I've never eaten, I will never eat that stuff. And so uh, this, this happens, and then he wakes up, and he's sitting there thinking, man, that was so weird. He's kind of pondering that. He's like, what, what in the heck does that mean? And then these people show up from Cornelius, and um, the Holy Spirit tells Peter, go with them. And, and don't like have any misgivings, just go with them. And all of a sudden now this starts making sense to Peter. And so God sends Peter into this Gentile house and he shows up and he preaches the gospel. And people in this house get saved. And these are Gentiles, they are not Jews. So who spoke in tongues? It was the apostles, Jewish people that God had sent. That's what happens in Acts 2. And now in Acts chapter 10, somebody else is going to speak in tongues. And it's going to, well, let's read it. It's uh, Acts 10, 44 to 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed so Peter goes with these Jewish people who are believers, and he's hanging out with the Gentiles, and he preaches to the Gentiles. And it says, verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, and then people, people, Peter declared. So all of a sudden, these Gentiles start speaking in tongues. Like the Holy Spirit falls on them, they speak in tongues. So could you see why somebody could go, when the Holy Spirit falls on people, they speak in tongues? I mean, it happened in Acts chapter 2. It's happening here in Acts chapter 10, so you could see how somebody could say that. It's not like people are crazy, um, but they also didn't take into account what 1 Corinthians 12 said, that not everybody speaks in tongues. So you could see where people could get this. And then it goes on, and here's what Peter says. This was the purpose of that. Verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And then he goes on and he says, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay there for some days. So this is God saying salvation is not just for Jews. Like all the Jews who got saved on Pentecost, like those are all Jewish people. And now God's saying, no, it's for Gentiles. And guess what? You can, that's why Christians eat pork, by the way. That's why we all eat pork is because of this. Hey, aren't you glad we can have bacon? It's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, eating lizards and other things like that's not too good, but I am glad we get to eat pigs. They taste good. <laughs> so then there's another example of the gift of tongues. And that is we see in Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7. And so now we're going to see something else. It's like this transition. You know, the book of Acts is a transitionary gift. You ever thought about that? Like 
Here Cornelius, I think, is a genuinely saved person. Genuinely saved. It says he was devout. Like God is listening to him. I think Cornelius was a Gentile that God saved. And then he answers his prayer and sends Peter, preaches the gospel toward, to him. But have you ever thought about, what about all the Jews? Like in the Old Testament, there were Jews that were religious and like the Pharisees, and they hated God. They had no relationship with God. In fact, um, Jesus says, if, if, you, if you knew me, you'd know my Father. Like Jesus connects himself with God. You cannot worship God and reject Jesus. That is not possible. One of the things he said to all the Pharisees, these religious leaders who were rejecting him, you can't, like if you, if you believe in God, you believe in Jesus. So those, like God and Jesus, they're, Jesus is God. So it goes together. But have you ever thought about what about Jews who genuinely worship God, who didn't know about Jesus? What about them? Today, um, are Jewish people, those are God's chosen people, are they going to heaven? And what I want you to know is, no Jewish people who are not Christians, like if you're a Jewish person, my, great, my, my uh, great-grandfather was the son of a Jewish rabbi who became a Christian and his family had a funeral for him. And so I'm not talking about Jews who have come to know Christ, but um, are the Jews who pursue Judaism, are they Christians and are they saved? And the answer to that is no, none of them are. Um, you know how God punished Israel, when they rejected God, like all the examples of the Old Testament, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and deported um, Israel, um, it was punishment because they weren't following God. You ever wonder why the Jewish nation has so many problems? It's because they are being punished for rejecting God, and God is preserving them, and it is a miracle that Israel survives in the Middle East. Like, it's unbelievable how powerful their enemies are, how they're surrounded by everyone that wants to kill them and destroy them and wipe them out. And yet God is preserving His people. And yet, um, last, last time I was in Israel, I only went once, it was a long time ago, so it's not like you go there all the time, but last time I was in Israel, man, we're driving around and our bus had to pull over because rockets were being shot into our area. When I was on the airplane getting ready to leave Israel and fly home, the plane's just sitting there, and I'm like, why? So I called Michelle, and I'm like, what's going on? And she says, well, there's, they're shooting missiles around, so the planes probably don't want to fly up into the missiles. And then, then she goes, um, hey, by the way, they said that they just shot down one of the missiles. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then the pilot comes on. Okay, we've been cleared for takeoff. So Michelle's, Michelle's explaining to me stuff before other people. You want to know why rockets get shot into Israel? It's because God's disciplining them for rejecting him. When you think about what happened with Nebuchadnezzar and various deportations, you think about what happened with Nazi, in Nazi Germany. Um, that's just an example in history of what happens when people disregard God. He sends discipline into their life. And so Israel's eventually going to be saved. But, but what about that? Well, Acts chapter 19 is an expression of what happened to the faithful Jews who had not heard about Jesus. Let's read that. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus and there he found some disciples and he said to them so these are faithful people they're disciples and he said to them um, 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? <laughs> I tell you something, he's checking to see if they're Christians <laughs> because people believe the Holy Spirit when, when they believe. And then uh, they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? They're not Christians yet. Like faithful believers, faithful Jewish believers, like that could happen then. That can happen now. And um, they're faithful believers. Hey, what, uh, in Matthew chapter 28, what does it say? Go make disciples, baptizing them what? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So when people became Christians, part of that was understanding that there's a trinity. That, that's, that's what was preached. So Christians understood that there's God the Father, that there's God the Holy Spirit, that there's Jesus, that they're uh, different persons in the same God. That, that was preached for salvation. They were baptized in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So when they say, well, we've been baptized, and they're like, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes, well, then what were you baptized into? And he says, um, they said, into John's baptism. You know, John was preaching and baptizing people for repentance to get ready for the Messiah. And then it says, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. Remember when, when John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? He's telling people, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. So these are Jews. And then it says in verse 5, then on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. And there was about 12 men in all. So they're speaking in tongues and they are prophesying. That is evidence that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. That does not mean... And, and so you can see why people would read Acts and say... Oh, speaking in tongues is the evidence you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You could see that, right? But, the, but again, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you understand that is not true. Um, that is not the evidence. It was in these cases, and God had a specific purpose for these cases. And then it just says, like in this passage, it says there's prophecy. That's amazing. And then it says that there's tongues, and then it just says tongues are going to cease. And um, I may get into this more, but it is interesting that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 is the last book in the New Testament that talks about tongues. You know, when you read the rest of the books in the New Testament, the rest of the letters to the churches, there's, there's discussion. Romans chapter 12, there's dis discussion of gifts. Uh, 1 Peter talks about speaking gifts and serving gifts. You know what is never mentioned? Tongues. Not mentioned in the rest of the books of the New Testament. In church history, there's not this expression of that tongues were happening. Tongues started again in around 1900 is when tongues started. So it kind of looks like tongues ceased. Now, one of the things I do want to point out here, it says tongues will cease. We'll talk about um, what this says about when these things are going to cease. And I just want to tell you, like, there's not a verse. Like, it says tongues will cease. But I can't go to a verse that says tongues ceased on this day, at this time. Um, some, some people would gather um, knowledge, tongues, and um, prophecy, and they would just say uh, the fact that the word cease is used is not important. It's just, um, it, just all of those gifts need to get lumped together. 
And I would say that's possible. Um, I don't think that that's true. I think that God says ceased, and he used a different word for a different reason. But I would also say it is possible that all those things could be lumped together. And so there's, this is a challenging passage that people wrestle through. And then it, it goes on and it says, um, knowledge. <laughs> Can we go quickly on knowledge? And, uh, you know, think about the value of knowledge, the ability to just understand and make powerful connections. You know, I think about seminary. Like, I went away to seminary, so I started as a new Christian. I just started reading the Bible from beginning to end. One of the most uh, transformational things in my life. I grew up in church, going to church every single week. And um, I, I remember um, Sunday school teachers would tell me Bible stories, and I would correct them as a kid. I go, no, you messed up this detail and you messed up that detail. Because in my life, I was taught a lot. And then I remember um, right after, and this all before I was a Christian, right after I became a Christian, I'm attending this church, and the pastor's wife says to me, have you ever read the whole Bible? And I said, oh yeah, I'm sure I've read the whole thing. And she goes, no, no, what I'm asking is, have you ever started at the beginning and read until you got to the end? And I said, no, I've never done that. And she says, well, you know what? You should do that. And so I'm like, okay. And I got one of those through the Bible in a year programs, and I started reading the Bible every single day. And guess what I figured out? There were lots of things in the Bible that I had never read. In fact, I read some things in the Bible that traumatized me when I realized what and one of those things was Job. I read Job, and I'd heard the story of Job, but I didn't realize God volunteered him for the suffering. And when I realized God volunteered him, I'm like, wait a second. I don't know why I thought that was different, that if it was Satan's idea, it's okay that God let it happen. But the fact that God was the one who volunteered him, like that traumatized me. And I realized there's tons of things in the Bible that I had not read. And, but you want to know what one of the blessings in life is? is I was not just given a Bible by myself to just read and figure things out alone. Um, there are people who have been studying the Bible for years and years. I had seminary professors who had been writing and publishing articles before I was born. And those people would tell me things. And as I would hear like a, a certain point of doctrine, like let's even take, take the tongues thing, I would hear somebody making an argument, read, I would read or hear somebody making an argument for one view of tongues. Then I had the benefit of listening and hearing from somebody else who disagreed. And I got to hear them argue for their case. And, and so I had the benefit of these, these brilliant minds who'd been studying for years. And I didn't just start from scratch. I got the benefit of learning, hearing people even who disagreed. That was actually a huge benefit when people disagreed and brought up different points, that really helped me. When you think about the gift of knowledge, can you imagine the Holy Spirit giving somebody the ability to just know and understand something? You ever thought about the compounding of knowledge? Like how valuable that is. Um, have you ever thought about Ford? Like what if Ford like skipped all the cars that he was building and just made a Tesla? Or, or what if... What if Benjamin Franklin, he could skip the, the kite and the key um, you know, experiment, which 
there's a lot of stuff around that. We don't, you know, probably didn't get struck by lightning and all that stuff, but that was one of his experience, experiments. He, he came up with the idea of a lightning rod. What if he could just skip all that stuff and he could just make solar panels and, uh, and power plants? Like that's the gift of knowledge when it comes to theology. You get to skip all those things and just go right to the truth. What an incredible gift. And it says that it's going to pass away. Why? Because something much better is coming. And you might not realize this, but we're out of time. So I thought we were going to be in 1 Corinthians 14, and uh, we're not going to actually be in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to finish this next week, and we'll talk about the perfect and how amazing the perfect is. So one of the things we want to recognize is as people, we read the Bible, we study it, we approach the Bible humbly, and we recognize that we are people that need to love each other. We value disagreements when people have different views. We're not offended when people disagree with us. We love them. We listen to them. And my next point, which we'll start with next week, is how we need to realize that we often don't know as much as we think we know. And so we approach the body of Christ. We approach everything with an attitude of humility. And that includes me saying, I don't think tongues are still in operation. But I have to approach that with humility because guess what? I don't know everything yet. So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. And God, I just want to lift up Bobby again and just ask that you would bless him with healing. God, thank you for your word. I pray that we would value spiritual gifts, that we would value your truth, that we would value the body of Christ, that our disagreements and our offenses... Lord, that we would get over those things and that we would just get to the business of loving and encouraging and building one another up and reaching people with the gospel in your name. Amen.